uh, why don't we we kick it off? Um, and I think in this, what we've done here is, uh, I think Harrison put together. What we're going to do is Harrison put together just uh, an overview, a couple slides that just kind of talks like our you know quick takeaways of of the paper, and then we'll probably hop. We'll probably go through that first, which gives an overview of kind of the ideas and material behind it. And then we'll hop into maybe section, kind of do different sections and different visuals within it. So for all of you who um, who kind of don't know what, what, what this, for all of you who maybe um, don't know what this paper is, Anthropic um, put out a paper around understanding, really it's kind of an interpretability paper. And I guess the background is is there's a lot there's been a lot of approaches which I, I i completely think are the wrong direction and i think they they've made a really good case here they're the wrong direction that were individual neuron based approaches to try to around to look at around interpretability and so this is one of the best approaches i've seen for um uh de, you know understanding interpretability inside the, the these um you know large language models or transformers uh and i'll let kind of harrison harrison start with with kind of um the material here and then we'll hop uh, directly into the paper cool thanks for coming everybody um what i was thinking i would do with these first few slides is to just break it down a little bit so we're all on the same page as to the bigger the bigger ideas of the paper uh before we dive in so i think jason so probably set it up quite well already like the problem is you have these really large neural networks you know now we're talking about transformers LLS. can you click the slideshow button harrison oh yeah one second uh, can everyone see my screen? Yeah. Okay. So the problem is we don't know exactly what's happening there. And, and why do we care? Well, the, these if we have a mechanistic way of interpreting these models, we have a better way of steering them, controlling them, controlling them with safety, alignment. You know, usually the analogy I get give is, you know, if we have cars today, if you're a mechanic, you don't just want to know if you press the gas pedal, the car goes. You kind of want to have some understanding of the mechanistic reasons as to why when you press the gas pedal, it goes so you can fix the car when it breaks or even make improvements to it. So that's the general motivation behind why we want to do this. So what do they? What does the paper mean by monosemanticity? I, I think the easiest way to think about it is just, you know, you look at this meme. That's existential risk neurons. Just turn it off, and you're safe from us. So, like, why is it funny? Well, I think it's it's funny because we all intuitively probably get that a single neuron doesn't encode these human level meaningful features. Um, and you know, in the first part of the paper, they say that the the most natural unit is the neuron, but it's probably not the unit we want to be looking at for human understanding. But because we're humans, we do want some unit that represents a monosemantic, like a singular aspect of reality. Maybe it's, you know, the likelihood that a text is Arabic or base 64, that is monosemantic. That's what the paper sets out to try and find. Um, so with that being said, we're going to take just a small detour to dive into what they mean by dictionary learning and the specific technique of dictionary learning they use so one thing I would notice on the monos, like the single neuron stuff, uh, you know, OpenAI put put out a paper. I think we did a paper reading on it, which was um, trying to use, uh, 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 you know, a, an LLM to understand the neurons, you know, individual neurons within an LLM. And I, I just think um, 
I, I, I deeply think that the direction going they're, they're going here, which is understanding um, really vectors of neurons, call it, you know, embeddings within the transformer or the layer, like the way in which things learn, or, you know, it's, it makes a really good case that it's just not individual neurons, not going to map to a single idea as easy as yep. it sounds like for a, you know, for us, if that was the case, it would be great. It'd be easy, but it's just not how these, these models are trained or learned. Um, the multiple neurons work together to create a vector and embedding. Um, the, and, and those represent, those look to represent things that, um, it can be can be mapped to things that we we might interpret as a human, which is what the paper does. Totally, and I, Jason, I think you had a great point before about like it's a very human thing to want a single neuron to mean something because it's something we can mechanically see and it's something we can understand easily. But that's yeah, totally not the case. The authors here make the case that many neurons are polysemantic, and you know all that means is you can show it a token that's part of Arabic and another token that's uh, numbers or English and the same neuron will fire and might fire intensely. So there's just, there's no way neurons are monosemantic uh, being singular things. So, but we still need some unit to understand these features to begin to reason about it. Uh, and so going back to the brief detour here, you know, towards monosemanticity using dictionary, dictionary learning, the specific technique they will be using here is something called an autoencoder. And what you have here is just a, a super basic example of what an autoencoder neural network will look like. Typically in these cases, the input layer, uh, the, the loss function is so that you're training the identity function. So the input and output is the same. The trick is that in the hidden layer, you typically have a small amount of neurons. And what you're doing is you're, you're training the network to find an, a compressed encoding of what's going on in the input. Uh, anything you want to add here, Jason? Um, no, I think, I mean, I, I, I'll, I'm going to hit on some ideas later okay. on autoencoder cool. stuff, but I mean, that's exactly it. It's trying to discover, you know, f features that represent um, the, the, whatever you're looking at internally. Yep. Um, and so in the, the problem set of the paper is the authors take uh, a simple transform with a single layer uh, MLP, multi-layer perceptron, and train an autoencoder on the activations of the neurons of that feed-forward network. Uh, and if I so the main meat, the main meats and potatoes of the paper just goes on in the boxes that that are orange that you see. Um, and in the paper it says, well, the autoencoder is sparse and overcomplete. That's actually two very important details. If we zoom in, I can show you exactly. Uh, what they mean. If you go back so, one second, one, one thing sure. I want to hint is sometimes I, I feel like the, you know, the, the word features on the writer can, can be kind of confusing because features are used mm -hmm. so often in, mm -hmm. um, in the network. So on the left, what you have are, are activations, really, what, what are the, you know, the neuron activations on the left and on what you have on the right are kind of like, what we're going to find is human um, discernible features or dictionary um, dictionaries, um, dictionary basis uh, features yep. that that describe human-like things. So we're mapping from, you know, a, a vector and embedding um, within the the transformer layer to a set of human uh, discernible dictionary features. Exactly, and I think it is confusing because it's a bit circular. I think that, and the authors put it in quotes here, right? The features here are what the authors hope to recover 
as these like monosemantic interpretable units. Yep. Uh, you're exactly right. Um, and just if you zoom in a little, zoom in a little more, um, you can just imagine that they're attaching weights from these neurons to the hidden layer of that autoencoder. And now the very the novel thing between what the authors are doing here versus the autoencoder here is that bottleneck is overcomplete. What that means is instead of trying to compress information, they're actually trying to pull it way out, increase the dimensionality of it. Uh, so you can see in this example here, you know, just suppose that there's a toy feed for network here with two neurons, they're going to expand it to five, something greater. And in reality, it's 512 to, you know, 131,000. You can see it in the graph on the left. So it's overcomplete in that sense. Um, and it's sparse. So during training, what they force the network to do is almost that these features are one hot encoded. So back to that monosemanticity thing is what they hope is something like whenever these are activated, you only get feature one that's activated from neuron one and two or feature three, four, five or so on. And so, so that's how they coerce this. Again, the, the authors have features in quotes because they don't know if they're going to recover features from it. Um, but that was one way of getting at it. Yeah, and I think that's it's a good point. Now, it's not exactly one hot encoded. They're just trying to find a a sparse mapping, so um, a handful or a small number of these features can work together. Um, but but exactly that, it's a, a you know a handful of the features actually describe the set of activations. Yeah. Okay, so then th this is the really like interesting part of the paper. Um, again, we'll we'll go into the details after. But so in this sort of setup, assuming that we recover from these sparse features in the autoencoder will semantically map to something, well, what is a feature? Like, if you really ask rigorously mathematically, what, what is a feature? And I'm going to try and explain this with a picture behind the, some of the technical jargon here, you know, empirical evidence suggesting that neural networks have interpretable linear directions in activation space. Um, so, Going back to the example here, um, if you have these neurons that are firing based on some tokens, and say you are dealing with a network with three neurons, and if you plot each of these points in space, it's 3D space, and now just imagine a case where what you're plotting turns out to be, it looks like a box or, or something like that. Imagine you have a, you know, like a three neuron MLP for a cat picture like classifier. And so these points are being plotted on, on the square. What the authors are saying is that what is actually a feature is the basis vectors that span this vector space. And so you can, you can reframe your question as, well, every feature is a basis vector. And so maybe cat image 33 that is somewhere on that uh, box is cuteness plus fluffy plus whiskers. And moreover, you can combine these basis vectors as to create more complex features. And, and I think that's a very that's a very interesting and insightful reframing of what a feature is. It's not a singular neuron. It's a direction of points in activation space. Uh, and it's just a fascinating sort of geometric way uh, to look at what's happening in, in these neural networks. Um, I have one more, more down to earth example, <laughs> but Jason, did anything you wanted to add to that? 
No, I mean, I, I'm going to add a little bit more around, like I, I do, I, I think it's pretty clear. So, so um, you know, some of us have been applying like UMAP to transformer embeddings for, for quite a while from say Llama models. And I think it's clear to us who've been doing that, um, that, that there's some topology that, you know, there, there's, there's, there's structures in that space that map out you know, the structures in that space that map out like idea, like the, those transformers are learning ideas and those ideas are represented by topologies that are learned in that, in those space, in that space. And that's kind of what, what you're, you're essentially doing here, except you're mapping it to a set of dictionaries and the dictionaries are these, are these, are these basis factors. Um, and so I, I think that, you know, fast forward a couple of years here, there's going to, you know, I, I just think there's a massive amount of interesting work to be done on, how topologies mapped out by, you know, uh, embeddings or, or the vectors within transformers um, map to concepts or ideas, um, and then there's there's a big big thing they hinted in there, and we'll talk about a little bit about it, which is like, are these topologies that are learned model specific, or or is these topology like other like if you compared multiple models trained on different data, would they learn the same topologies, and can you start to find similar basis vectors so like not basis vectors but similar surfaces and then these dictionaries represent the basis vectors or you know will you find similar ones as you look at lots of different models so big big idea you know is is you know is information represented by topological structure and is it common across different you know totally different training runs for models and they kind of hinted that at the paper but but we'll we'll kind of um i think it's a really big open open idea uh, and uh, one last example for those those of us, if you know, if you're if vector spaces, basis vectors, subspaces that that's not part of your common you know data day vocabulary. I think this is just an even more simple example of what we're trying to illustrate. You know, in the scatter plot, if y-axis is the activation of neuron one, if x-axis is the activation of neuron two, and each point is an example that you feed into the network that you get these activation. Uh, intensities from what the feature is is a vector in some direction of that scatter plot, and that's it. It's not it's not neuron one. It's not neuron two. It is the direction of some subset of these plots of data, and there can be infinitely many of them. There can be five of them. There can be ten of them, and what you get back is just how much you scale the autoencoder and the hidden layer. So. Just a fascinating way to look at it. Uh, and that I will hand it over to Jason for the rest of the paper. So we'll 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 hop in to kind of go through some of these <clears throat> some of the sections here and feel free to you know throw out questions or ideas or thoughts or um so so the, the beginning kind of gives gives the background, which I think is you know the problem set up and what they're what they're gonna do, what they're gonna go through. Um uh I I, I think there's um, an amazing, I mean, if you haven't seen it, I mean, a really well done piece of research that includes like interactive analysis and, um, and, and in the beginning, they kind of do the, the summary results, which we've kind of talked about, which is, um, you, I mean, it's clear, you can use a sparse encoder, um, to extract the, um, basically features that, that, that represent human level ideas, um, you know the the Arabic or or the base sixty four encoding or 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 cat cuteness um, and and I think that's pretty 
know, I think it's clear they, they did a really good job of actually showing um, it, that these can be extracted. They did really deep job, uh, re really kind of deep level research and, and well done research on, 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 on showing those those features probably you know you know do represent activations on data relative to those um exact those those things they're trying you know they that the, they think the features are um there's you know <clears throat> relatively I, I think there's some some really interesting idea i mean i think there's really interesting ideas in in how some of the features do work together um, that by they can actually explode the, the um, you know feature space into larger uh, sizes that you know you, you can tune the autoencoder you can choose a smaller encoder get less features or you can get like 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 more visibility by 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 actually increasing the size and having things be more subtly represent different feature sets um, I think we talked about this a lot so I'm not going to go through it too much one note is they did choose a very, very small transformer here. So it's one layer, like this is done on a very simple setup. Um, and it was, you know, it, but but I do think like this approach, um, you're gonna see applied to to larger, you know, deeper levels in, in your, your more traditional LLMs that you see. Um, we talked a bit about, it, um, talked a bit about the feature de decomposition. Um, so So this is, you know, th this is kind of what they highlighted previously, you know, something called dictionary learning, which is um, mapping a set of data and activations to a, a set of dictionary basis functions that might be overcomplete within um, the, within the space. Um, so this this DI um, it represents a really um, a, you know a, a direction of feature feature I. So you're you're thinking of it like. Um, as you're thinking about this, the the dictionary kind of basis functions represent those human human readable and understandable things that make up your your data. Um, they kind of give the the example of the problem, which is if you imagine in this like this blown out space where um, maybe things aren't superimposed and they're kind of putting this hypothetical disentangled model, which also kind of represents the um you know the, the 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 dictionary learning problem too that you're trying to learn this like very large sparse matrix um that represents that that you know represents your data in, in an expanded form um and disentangles what is you know what what is the your your low dimensional essentially projection um and there's a, a couple of questions here maybe I'll, I'll stop for a sec to to see what those question thinking of vector space terms can this process be thought of as principal component analysis or singular value decomposition perhaps um not exactly but useful analogy yeah so so that's i mean if you look at like what dictionary learning is it's kind of you know very you know very very related to svd i think that um you know svd is more a general thing where the the one other constraint i think on the dictionary learning is um is is the activation is supposed to be sparse across the the dictionary terms so it's like a maybe a special form of of, of some of this but but it's to, to, totally and totally related to, to Jason SVD. I can I, there's there's another interest I think there's an even more intuitive point here like totally yeah. sparsity thing is a thing but you know an SVD you're typically going from many dimensions and you're trying to you know extract out the small amount of 
like lesser dimensions. And you know, the interesting things from this paper came from when they took the inputs, which is 512 dimensions to a higher dimension and, and maintain sparsity. And I, you, you won't be able to get that with SVD, um, but you could with this like autoencoder approach. Yeah. Okay. So, but definitely, definitely related in terms of its matrix factorization uh, of, of a matrix and, and trying to get, you know, a, a set of basis, um, two matrices that represent basises of, of the original one. So I would say related in, in that sense. Um, how do you assign meaning to the basis factors of your new expanded feature space? Um, is it's a similar problem to general embeddings, at least in scaling down with UMAP, you might be able to visualize it and guess it. Um, so this is a good, this is a really good question, actually. So um, I, I I think I want to go, we'll go through the paper. I, I wasn't like, I, I, I kind of feel like it's a similar problem that we have in, in, in like UMAP or any of these things where you, you end up with this, you end up with a feature or maybe a dictionary feature, but then this feature activates. So in this case, this, dictionary value, this dictionary, which is a basis vector, activates for some set of your data. Um, maybe it's Arabic text. And, and you're, you, you have the same problem in UMAP where you're kind of looking at this cluster of data and saying, okay, well, what does it represent? Well, I got to look through all the samples. And and by the way, let, go, go look at what, it, you know, come up with something. Um, what we've done in our, <laughs> what we do with our software quite quite a bit is, is um, is actually used GPT-4 to, um, to to summarize the cluster of data. So, so I think I think it's a similar problem, which is you're you're kind of like um, looking at what is common across these and trying to come up with a summary of a summarization of it. Um, but yeah, it's a great question. It's like a summarization problem for in, in UMAP. It's a cluster, and in, in you know in this case, it's a, a dictionary activation on on a on a set of um, examples. Um, same approach that yeah. take took with this too. I, they they used yeah. uh, GBT four to summarize some of them because or or probably anthropics Claude, but <laughs> or, oh sorry, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so and then the the way I think of they are yeah yeah. So so one comment here is the way I think of they they're uh, thematically similar but not exactly the same. One is deterministic, one isn't. Another way to look is you can't enforce sparsity constraints in SVD. Um, that was okay. So we'll we'll keep going. And I mean, it's a good point. Like, what makes a good decomposition? You know, it's interpretable. Um, this you know the the sparsity thing is kind of nice in that you know it means that like there's there's um uh, a, a you know kind of a well defined meaning that for for these that are activated and it's not that many. You know, you the, the more you'd get. The, the less sparse you are, the more these these would be less useful. You know, the the less useful these would be in helping understand um, the components that make up something. Um, yeah, so so why not use architectural approaches? So this was a question in the original paper, which is like maybe, and, and I don't love this myself, but like like why not force a architectural approach to a model? That makes it understandable um, instead of trying to understand what we built um, with, with in terms of kind of large language models and transformers. Um, this always, I you know, I think I think they came to the pretty clear conclusion at the end of this that that it's just not the you know it's not going to work. You lose a lot 
in terms of by forcing, like, can we force a neuron to mean something one hot wise? And, and I think they found that like that, that it kills a lot in performance. And it's just, you know, that the, I, I think you're giving up an incredible amount of, of how these models learn if you try to force it this direction. So, so that, that was my take, kind of my, my intuition going in and probably what they've, they came the conclusion they came to at the end of this. Um, so then they, they came to kind of using sparse autoencoders to find de good decompositions. Um, and this definitely works. It looks, it looks like it works great. <laughs> it looks like it works, I mean, really well given, given the data scene. Um, to those of you who are kind of researchers, um, you know, one, one thought I had is I looked at this and this is kind of someone who wants a, a fun research project or a paper um, to, to write was, um, um, you know, UMAP itself is it do, does mappings and we, we use it all the time <laughs> from from um, from one top a lot from like a high dimensional topological space to a lower uh, a lower space um, that you can then cluster in. And, and one of the questions I had when looking at this is like, why, why not? Why use a sparse autoencoder? Why not do UMAP directly? And and uh, I've seen. And one is the you know I do think that there's a like some some good scaling properties that maybe the autoencoder might have. Um, but it, I think it's you know it's research that I'm 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 interested in in someone doing or seeing. I'm sure there'll be a paper and we'll we'll cover it. But they kind of do and tackle similar issues, which is finding structure and surfaces and mapping those into distinct groups of things. In one case, you get this clear dic dictionary activation in UMAP, you get, um, in, in UMAP, you get 2D, 3D kind of space where you still have to cluster, but but it's still, but it, it's not that, you know, it, it's someone should <laughs> tackle and, and, and look at like going one, one direction versus another. Um, on the sparse encoder side, uh, this they like 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 Harrison said, um, it does. The goal is to go from like that five twelve to to more expanded space and over complete representation that's sparse of of the data. Um, they talk a little bit about the setup. Um, I'm gonna keep going fast because there's good visuals here that would be fun to go through. Um, okay, so so anything else I'd add? I mean, I think we kind of went through that, the autocoders in the beginning, kind of hit on the um, the sparsity idea. Uh, they do have some really amazing kind of uh, inner, you know, exploring the data. Um, so I don't know if you got to see, you know, if you've looked at this, but they have some just amazing visualizations where you can kind of click on one of these. And they'll give you an idea of of like what this feature represents. And this is one of the uh, this is feature I think A two in this case. Um, pretty clear. This is one of those DNA features they they mentioned. So again, by by kind of looking at its top activations, you you take this group of data. You can kind of um, say what it is, or use uh, Claude or GPT four to say what it is. Um, and, and and I mean, it's just clear in this case that um, I mean, but by looking at what it is, and and there's there's quite quite a bit here in terms of um, 
in, in terms of like what it what it activates on um densities positive negatives so, so it's a, i mean a, a pretty amazing um piece of work um there's also versions where you can take this feature and look at like a piece of text and kind of look at like different components of the text and what, what kind of things um what top features activate for certain words within the so like you know computer here um you see the the top activation in this you know the, the top feature activation on this case is the the auto interpretive one name is like the neuron fires on proper nouns for technology and mobile apps um so there's a couple different ways of looking at these that they've put visualizations on which are pretty awesome um uh, you know abilities to look at like this is looking at a piece of text and which features are firing where and, and ordering of those. Um, only other thing I would look at is if you um, look at the activations, it's pretty clear. They, you know, the, the, the dictionaries here are decently sparse at the top here. You know, that there's a couple features that are active in, in, in the sets for each one of these. Um, so awesome work in, in kind of looking and interpreting what these dictionary features mean and visualizing them um there's a set of investigations they do into like these these activations and like what these features are and like and, and then really ensuring that they probabilistically mean the thing that they've they're kind of indicating they 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 do mean um one thing i thought was interesting too here is a section where you have this polysemanticity where if every feat like if every feature, if it was truly polysemantic and you had this, this lots of things, meet, you know, overlapping and meaning different things, it's kind of hard to interpret. Um, but if you do have these, like, when feature, when it's a small number of features, maybe it's not just one activation, but it's a small number, you could still get this, this, you know, you can still have these, um, um, you can kind of have this. It, 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 I don't know if it kind of totally rolls out the polysemanticity. You know, it, it kind of goes against a little bit of the polysemanticity. I mean, it's not just neurons mean many, many, many things. It's they all work together. It's just the way, it just when you look at one at a time in isolation, it can feel like it means a lot of things. But if you look at the vectors as a whole and you map them to the right spaces, it's, it's not that they're this crazy policy. It's not that they're meaning 15,000 things at once. It's, it's that you're just kind of zoomed into too tight. You need to, you know, look at the whole thing. They, they might mean a handful of things, but you just got to look at them as one thing working together um, was kind of my take on this, that it's a kind of an argument that, um, that there's, there, there's meaningful ways in which you can look at these the activations as a whole. Um, and then I thought, yeah, this I thought this section was um, uh, a pretty good section around kind of going through, um, like just kind of proving out, like like the like does this feature really mean Arabic script feature? I think they came up with a way of detecting Arabic script through, um, like a you know, a, a text-based approach and then compared it to the, you know, the probability of it really being Arabic script versus this, this feature actually detecting it as Arabic script, just to go prove that it's actually is detecting the thing you think it is. Um, and, and having some really good evidence around that, um, you know, 
proxies and you know it's not perfect these aren't these aren't like you know perfect encoders of the ideas which we all think we we have in our heads but they they're good you know their goods overlaps with them and then you know they might be slightly different than the ones we have um um feature there's some you know some points in this section around like is it really learning something in the data or is it actually using these features to improve you know to to do the prediction which was the transformer was trained for so is it causal or is it you know is it causing something downstream to actually happen is it causing the model to be better at, pre at predicting the next token for arabic script versus is it just learning something in the data um, they kind of go and improve that it's actually doing something downstream. Um, it really is actually, you know, helping predict Arabic script when it, you know, or helping drive the model towards improving loss on Arabic script versus like um, token prediction. Um, they do some feature appellations. Um, they go through and try to show that you know it really is that the feature is a collection of of neurons working together not an individual neuron um wait jason do you want to linger on the the one just above that i think that's like the yeah. most powerful uh right the one right before that right after sorry right after this one here yeah like this one they took the neuron that fires in the highest correlation with the arabic feature and you see like it's dumb, it's like dominantly blue, which is things that then sort of the neuron typically fires with even more intensity with magnitudes of more frequency on things that are not Arabic. Uh, and the things that are Arabic, it's just that tiny, you might not even see it in the screen, that tiny red section. And so again, you take a neuron that fires with highest correlation with the feature and you show that it actually just fires more intensely for everyone else just great, great uh, demonstration about like the polysemanticity of neurons. Yeah. <clears throat> well, um, any more questions or thought, thoughts from the, the group? Um, universality. Um, I think... I mean, this is this is interesting. <laughs> I think this is one of the more interesting questions. Um, the, I mean, like my, my inclination of what what I've what I've read and seen so far, and kind of what what I've kind of experienced in in kind of looking at, um, I would say a lot <laughs> a lot of a lot of UMAPs of of transformer outputs uh, of transformer internals. Um, I, I think there's something to be said for this. Like, I, I think there's a whole field around this and, and um, it's, it's a really interesting question. Like, like, is the, is like, does it, you know, does, does the relationships between objects and ideas um, form similar topological structures in totally differently trained models is like, is there something naturally inherent in, in a model or an idea um, that, represents structure and that same structure is learned and can be 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 pulled out you know it's pulled out differently you know totally different transformers or lms trained on you know 
maybe even different data sets would learn the, the same ideas, the same, the same, call it basis functions, the same topological structures. Um, so this one, I expect a lot of research in this area. Um, I'm fascinated to understand if it really is true and what what the um, you know I I expect a, a, a good set of papers eventually in in this area. Um, and yeah, and they just go through different features here. They they dig through the DNA feature we went through, the Arabic feature we went through, and just again prove those those same those same points. Those down you know it detects what it's trying to detect. It's actually being used downstream um, by it. It's not an individual neuron. It's um, multiple working together. Um, and <clears throat> Jason, what do you think? What's your um, question for you? Like when, when I first saw this paper, I think one of the main authors tweeted it out and, and like the claim was, well, now the mechanistic interpretability of these models in general is now like a computation problem. Like, oh, now we just got to figure out how to like train these sparse autoencoders, uh, you know, to, to, to the actual size of these transformers that we're using today. Like, to what extent do you think that's a true statement or, or do you think that they're overplaying the, their hand a little bit in, in this paper? Or just wondering if you have any rough thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't, I mean, it's definitely not a solved, <laughs> uh, definitely not a solved field. Um, but uh I, I think I, I it still feels to me or I don't know interpret the interpret I mean this is a well done well researched paper um still feels early in the the interpretability space um you know again like I do think the the ideas of okay this is Arabic this is not Arabic you know like um those type of dimensions are, are fascinating but like think of like code generation for an LLM and it messes up something like like what you'd like to get to is something from an interpretability perspective that would help you understand like, what should I go do? Where, where's it breaking down? Where like, and, and, and so you might be able to detect an activation, but like, how does, how does that represent like a missed bracket or like something on that? Like, like how do the, how do the different trans like, generations of an LLM connect to each other and how do like how do these things you know how does an, you know there's outer ideas you know I might be writing a piece of code that does something and there's inner ideas there's a whole loop an inner loop and how do those like the, it's this is so early like we're, we're kind of in uh, you know the earliest stage and um yeah so in trying to understand kind of I, I many 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 levels here to understand this well enough to go make a fix or change or, or do something where we, we still feel kind of far from that. Um, next question is how many vectors are required to either capture all of human knowledge or at least the domain that is of interest to, to your problem. Um, Beautiful question. A, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a big one. Um, yeah, that's a, <laughs> that's a big one. I, I, I kind of feel like the, um, yeah, I, I I don't know if I can take a stab at, at that, but what's I mean I was I forgot who I was joking with, but it was like okay maybe if they tried to <laughs> autocode with like two, the only thing you get is like good and evil or, or something from from this thing. But I I think one of the my intuition is not much actually because the authors when they if you think about five hundred and twelve, 
I think maybe humans overestimate how rich our language and our lives are. But within these 512 features, they found features that detect like the numerical digits in base 64 encoding. Like surely that's not out of the sum total of things that are important to humans. Like that doesn't seem like that important to be there. So like my, my sense is it's, it's not much. It's, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so one one question Vibu Vibu asked was like, what what do we think the um, next area research or areas that I like to see? Um, I think there's a really you know one one thing that I there's a common thing I've been seeing and across there's a, there's a set of papers um, that I think would be fascinating and interesting is like is is can you uh, the idea we were talking about earlier, which is, which is, is there a universality to the topological structures that these, these models learn? So, um, could I, uh, can, can I say, you know, and this would be for like protect, like, you know, ideas around, um, negative subjects or harmful subjects or toxicity or whatever, like, you, can you just know those by the, the structures inherent in the, the you know, the, you know, Basically, these dictionaries are pulling out, but but it could have just also be um, a structural stuff. So I think the universality one is is a really interesting one. And can you just look at the you know the topologies that come out based upon um, you know the data you put in and understand exactly what this object is? Oh, this is a car based upon the structures, or this is a wheel because it's related to a car. It's related to black. So I think there's a whole thing around universality that that I think is a fascinating area of like, you know, do models learn the same structures totally independent on different data? Um, so that's kind of one, one area that's fascinating. And, and, then, and then what does that mean? Well, I think it comes down to like, if you want to control outputs or, or control things in different ways, you can easily, you know, be easy to do. Um, I think there's, uh, you know, I think there's a, a wealth of like, how do you use this to go fix or improve stuff? I think that's, still like <laughs> like a massively open question like when you know there's just so many simple mistakes that lms make you know is there any way of using these fields to improve or fix or understand those problems better um and and so kind of those those are at least two i would i would kind of love directions i'd love to see that i think are interesting um a good question and if there's anything and, I know about uh, engineers, I feel like the more more plausible way is uh, they'll they'll find that oh, if you stimulate this particular feature, you can coerce the text to be Arabic or HTML. So like the code doesn't come out right, you'll just like increase the value of that feature activation. It'd be more likely HTML. That's the next best thing you got. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think there, I think there's a whole. I mean, there's there's been work on steering vectors that I, that have come out in different areas. So I think there's whole ways in which you can use these activations to, to, to steer models um maybe maybe do it in a way that it doesn't fill up the context window or something but there, there's probably a lot of ways to um uh leverage this that's going to be very interesting in the, in the future yeah and so so Vibu said that um yeah there's a whole area of research is going on around pruning unsafe generations and stuff also in the training fine-tuning aspect too um yeah so check out some of the stuff Vibu shared there. It's pretty good. Um, um, yeah, so those are, yeah, I think this is kind of, you know, the, you know, I, the, the stuff we wanted to go through here. Um, 
awesome work by this this group here i mean just amazing work there's someone on twitter i don't have the link of it but someone on twitter recreated this on llama recently um so if anyone i was trying to find it. i saw it like like last week um but i can um you know i didn't have uh i didn't have the um the link but if someone has that if if you know drop it in the, in the chat or share it around, uh, share it to us. We'll share it, you know, share it in the community that it was pretty awesome work to recreate this, this work on kind of some, some open, open models. Um, I don't know who, who did it, but I, I kind of saw it and was impressed with the, the rigor. Um, cool. Well, thank you everyone for, for kind of joining and I appreciate the time. <laughs>